The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At ADP, we understand the importance of building the right team and offer the data insights to help. Just as importantly, our AI technology helps you pay the team accurately. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
All right, it's a, another film study as we're going to look back at the week eight uh, tough loss to the Steelers. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, you know, this loss was tough, but I'm really excited because it felt like the Ravens-Steelers rivalry was, was back after okay. last season seemed uh, like off. Very much so, and it definitely uh, was a game I think the Ravens certainly could have won, so it doesn't felt like they really got outplayed in the game, certainly in, in any sense except for the turnover battle primarily. And uh, it's just a shame that's the way the game went. All right. Yeah, of course. Um, but it was a weird game. But uh, before we get into this game, let's bring in our guest for today, which is Aaron from Penn Live. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you guys doing? Great to have you back on the show, Aaron. Always a pleasure when you do here. Aaron, big insider with Penn Live. Uh, he's one of the people you can really count on to give good pregame information and good information uh, otherwise. And Josh, I'm sorry, you got a reader to do now, don't you? Well, yeah, we got to do the MyBookie ad because I don't know, everyone uh, hopefully hopped on MyBookie last week. We're going to continue hyping up MyBookie this week because uh, we like it. So between the NFL, college ball, the election, there's no shortage of games to watch. Lines, thousands of lines available for your favorite sports and events, and you can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. And there's plenty of deals out there, especially if you want to hop on the underdog. There's lots of value in there where you could really make some money. I told you guys this weekend to stay away from the Ravens-Steelers line. And I did that until about 1245 where I saw it was at four points. And I hopped on the Steelers side because I figured it would be a three-point game. Oh, man. So I did make a little bit of money this weekend thanks to the Steelers. Ill-gotten gains all the way. Congratulations, so, Josh. Exactly. Well, the plan was for the Ravens to win by three, and then I can cash out. And it was looking really good for a long time. So if you're head on over to my bookie, use the code RAVENS to get your dollar-for-dollar dollar matching claim deposit up to $1,000, which is a pretty big deal. It's dollar-for-dollar dollar, uh, just for going over and using the code RAVENS at mybookie.ag. You have to roll your money to get that, but it's still a fantastic deal. Uh, very good bargain on gambling to get a one-for-one one match on your on your dollars. That's up to a thousand dollars. So uh, if yeah. you want to if you want to bet big, you can. And uh, if you want to bet really big, you probably have to do it more with your own money. But if you want to bet pretty big, you can you can uh, certainly kick in on this uh, on this bonus. And one interesting thing happened from a spread perspective this weekend, Josh, that I thought was kind of cool. The okay. Jets were nineteen and a half point dogs in the yes. game. And there have only been 16 previous games where there was a spread of 19 or more since 1978. And the underdogs were 0-16 in those games, but they were 13-3 and against the spread, which is unbelievable, frankly. It's an unbelievable combination of things. So anyway, I thought the Chiefs might be a pretty good bet plus 19.5, but, uh, but the Chiefs covered. The Jets yeah. weren't a good bet. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean – when it's 19 points, you realize you don't see that big of a differential between teams a whole lot. And the only reason I shared about betting on the Steelers and winning a bit, little bit of money because every other game I picked this weekend was a loser. So I had to, I had to use a positive example in there. But uh, anyway, let's, let's move on. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Plus, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, you're probably waiting to see who wins tonight. And we're not going to get into that because I don't think Anthony Santander will really win the gold glove tonight. <laughs> so instead, let's just talk about the Ravens and this Steelers matchup, which can, I think the best way to start 
is that you got to go and attend it as a fan with these new COVID procedures. Yeah, so that, that was fun, at least. It was very easy to get down there. I mean, you were used to a, a, a huge egress and access problem to the stadium. Just drive down there, you park on the Horseshoe Casino in a half-empty uh, lot there. Uh, the Ravens were selling some parking. That, that wouldn't have been a good, good buy, I don't think. Uh, but anyway, I uh, got to go to the game. Unfortunately, wearing a mask and having glasses makes the game a very difficult process to watch. Aaron, I don't know where, where you are. You ever wear a mask in the in the press box too for the game? Yep, yep. We gotta wear masks all the time, but I go contacts because the glasses just fog up too much. Smart guy. I got to do that if we go to another game. Is is go back to my contacts for that? That's a really smart move. All right, bad loss coming out of the bye, Aaron. I think we agree this is a game that the Ravens should have been favored in, and they, in all honesty, should have won. Yeah, and um, you guys mentioned at the top that, that it did feel like a Ravens-Steelers rivalry, and, and the Ravens did. It kind of felt like like a little bit of the, of the 2019 Ravens when they got the running game going, but but the turnovers, it was just such a big glaring issue there that, that cost them a game that, that really they, they outplayed the Steelers in, in most areas. Yeah, a couple high leverage plays. Obviously, we've seen that before. We saw it against the Titans. We've seen it against San Diego. We've seen it other times. But uh, but this was a this was a bad game where they really had it won. Otherwise, uh, the losses during the game very significant, and then the loss after in terms of Humphrey. Let's talk first about Ronnie Stanley and the injury. Maybe you know something from the inside on the nature of that injury. And nothing beyond what's been reported, which is that uh, it's a fractured dislocation and, and some likely ligament damage. Uh, John Harbaugh said today that Stanley will have surgery soon, and, and that he's hopeful he can be back for OTAs in May. But you know that that's such a such a long way away. It does seem like it's a serious injury, but but nothing that should be career threatening. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear about. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear about a successful surgery soon. Right. They never tell you about an unsuccessful surgery. They never use those words after yeah. it. Uh, you know, obviously, the Stanley situation, very dire. Had a good recovery from Matt Skura from a very serious injury last year. Yeah. You know, Stanley seems like the type of guy who would work very hard on a rehab, just like he works very hard on his offensive line craft. Yeah, absolutely. And the Ravens medical staff has been – they've gotten a lot of players back in pretty short order. So I- – not a great situation, but certainly could be worse considering how painful it looked when, when Stanley was first on the ground. Okay. Now, the other, obviously, crappy news this last couple of days is, is Marlon Humphrey on the COVID list. And so give us a little background on what happens with that in terms of his shutdown and maybe some of the COVID protocols for the team that go on after this. Yeah, so there was then now what's called intensive protocols, which which is basically just a, a amped up version of, of the protocols that every team across the league has been dealing with all year. Um, all meetings this week will be virtual. Um, practice will still go on, but there'll be some differences in terms of who's wearing masks and who's wearing gloves and stuff like that. Uh, but John Harbaugh said today that it's kind of all systems go. They're still going to move forward. Uh, the What could change that is the contact tracing which uh, at least as of this afternoon, uh, Monday afternoon, there was no, uh, they were still in that process. If it was deemed that Marlon Humphrey had multiple close contacts, we could see uh, a few other players miss a few days of practice, even if they don't uh, test positive for coronavirus because they need to quarantine as close contacts. So those are kind of the things to watch. And we won't really know for the next couple of days, you know, whether or not uh, Marlon Humphrey has passed the virus on to somebody else. Um, so I think everyone's kind of holding their breath until probably Wednesday or Thursday when, when we, uh, we get some test results back. 
Yeah, no pun intended there. So anyway, the 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 test was positive on Monday or after the game, or when was the test taken that was positive? The test was taken uh, Saturday, Sunday morning, excuse me, before the game. Uh, they just don't get the results back until late late Sunday night, early early uh, early Monday morning. Um, and this this has been the case the past two weeks. The NFL has done these um, tests before the game, so the positive test was before the game that that's why the Steelers are also intensive in intensive protocol. Uh, Did not know that because they played against, uh, they played against the Ravens and, and Marlon Humphrey actually missed practice on Wednesday with an illness. Uh, the team sent him home because he had some symptoms came back and practiced Thursday, Friday played in the game Sunday. So I, that's just kind of the nature of this virus that, that people don't know the viral load and all that. So I'm, I'm not a doctor, but uh, it's a, it's a situation where, somebody can have the virus, but test negative one day, positive the next day. So kind of a lot okay. of variables there. But he would have been tested after that mispractice day for other flu-like symptoms or cold symptoms. Yes, he tested negative every every day. Uh, that's okay. why he was able to continue practicing. Maybe it was unrelated. Uh, it, it's unclear. Are they, con- since he is without symptoms, are they continuing to do more tests as far as false positives and all that? Or is he now just done for two weeks, no matter what? Uh, John Harbaugh said today that that uh, it's a ten day window for Humphrey, which means he's symptomatic. Uh, the way the NFL does it is, if you're asymptomatic, uh, you can get back as as quickly as five days after a positive test with with you know multiple negative tests. But if you're symptomatic, it's ten days. And because Humphrey experienced some symptoms that kept him out of practice last week, I believe he was deemed symptomatic, which means it's it's ten days no matter what. So. He'll miss, he'll miss the Colts game. Uh, John Harbaugh said that today, that there's no question that he'll be out for at least one week, and we'll have to see uh, whether or not he can suit up against the Patriots in two weeks. Okay. Well, let's move on to the game itself. Obviously, it's a serious situation with Humphrey. We hope for the best for him. Yeah. The nature of fans is there's always a selfishness about, you know, we want this player back on the field for us, you know, and, and what's really important is that, that Marla not suffer any after effects of COVID here and that the rest of the team has avoided infection, or the and, and the Steelers for that matter as well. Well, let's talk about the game a little bit. Uh, you know, I've mentioned before the defense I thought played well enough to win this game. They certainly were handed some really bad uh, starting field positions. They gave away some points that weren't on the defense directly. But I thought uh, otherwise the defense played pretty well in most respects in this game. They certainly held the held the Steelers to a low enough average yards per play and third down success that they should have won the game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and obviously you can point to some of the adjustments that the Steelers made down the stretch and, and they were able to get a rhythm down the stretch, but holding the Steelers to essentially two touchdowns if you're the defense, because uh, the Steelers had one pick six and, and one uh, interception near the red zone. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, and, and the adjustments we certainly need to talk about, uh, we may as well get right to it because I think it's really the story of this game defensively for the Ravens, is the Steelers really probed for most of that first half trying to find a running rhythm, including some six-man offensive line and various other things they tried to get going in the run game. They never could. And Steelers, obviously, a pretty physical offensive line and one that certainly should have a chance to run the ball effectively, even against the Ravens. Return of Brandon Williams certainly helped the Ravens in part. They went with four defensive linemen, but were quite effective against the run. Yeah, obviously Brandon Williams, the, the numbers show how important he is with, with the run game. And, and I thought, you know, there are several guys who, J. 
Jalen Ferguson held the edge well. So several guys who who played well against the run early on, and that's that's why the the Ravens entered halftime with a ten point lead because the the Steelers just couldn't get anything going. Yeah, and and in the in the first half, Roethlisberger missed some passes, but they didn't really deploy their strategy of four wide receiver sets in any kind of great numbers until the second half. And I'm looking at, at my own personal score sheet of this. Bonds was only in for one play. It happened to be the pass fumble. So that was a four wide receiver set on that first drive the Steelers had. But otherwise, he didn't play in the entire first half. So it was really in the second half that they went to a strategy of putting four wide receivers on the field. The only real response for that is to use a four cornerback dime where the Ravens are forced then to put their fourth best cornerback on the field. And they correctly estimated that Terrell Bonds would be inexperienced. And not only that, that the use of the additional wide receivers would allow for some shallow crosses and other things that would target Patrick Queen in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, at least in the official game, both Bonds had, had uh, 17 total snaps. So that's that's a good chunk of snaps he played in the second half. If he only played one in the first half. But yeah, I mean, typically, if you're, if you're spreading four wide and you're forcing a team to, to go to four cornerbacks, if the Ravens were healthy... The Ravens are, are the probably the best best equipped mm-hmm. NFL team to handle that because they've got a bunch of really good cornerbacks. But uh, if you if you count Tavon Young and and Anthony Avery and even Amon Marshall, Terrell Bonds isn't their fourth best cornerback. He's he's their seventh best cornerback. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you can exploit. Uh, you know, every team tries to tries to create matchups to exploit linebackers and coverage and things like that. Um, and it just it just worked for the Steelers. And the thing about the Steelers is they have. Uh, the talent, the wide receiver talent to do that. They, I think they entered the game with, with four different receivers who had over 185 receiving yards. They've got the talent to, to spread you out and beat you. Yeah, they, they certainly have they're very spread targets on the Steelers more than just about any any team in the NFL. Roethlisberger, the quickest to deliver. He has a 2.29 average time to throw for the entire year, 2.29 seconds. That's the quickest in the entire NFL. By the way, that number is often misused for various reasons. We've talked about it occasionally on this show, but I just want to make people, make sure people know that's not the amount of time the offensive line is giving him. That's how quickly he's getting rid of the ball. And it's mostly a function of how that Steelers offense is run with a lot of shallow crosses, a lot of pick routes and rubs that come off bunch formation in particular. We go look back to the Chiefs game. That was an enormous problem for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously the the offenses are different. They're designed a little different, the Chiefs and the Steelers, but similarly that that you've got strong armed quarterbacks you, you've got offenses that that are running these these rub type plays and, and getting the ball out quick and it's something that that wink martindale is going to have to address uh teams are able to spread them out at this point and and it kind of seems like that maybe the defense is a little bit on its heels when when offenses come out with with four receivers and it's something they're going to have to figure out uh they got they they've got the talent to 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 combat it they just haven't really done it in in their two losses Right. You mentioned the two long drives earlier as being, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, you mentioned the two short drives of the 21 yard drive. And actually, that had a really bad play by Patrick Queen, which we're going to have to talk about at some point. But he completely missed his assignment, picked up a guy in man coverage when the coverage was zoned. Fort is obviously pointing to him to take over this receiver, and Queen isn't there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was an unfortunate play. We've seen too much of that, frankly, from Patrick Queen at this point in the year. And he played all 53 snaps in this game, or all 50, I should say, that I count uh, defensively because I take the penalties out. Um, but anyway, he was on the field the entire time. Part of that was some of the 
defensive flexibility that was lost with Matthew Judon because they really will play a zero inside linebacker dime fairly frequently when they have Judon active, but they need his coverage skill and Bowser on the field at the same time to do it. Yeah, and and um, that that's I, I imagine that is why Patrick Queen ended up. He, he I don't think he played more than maybe one game. He played more than eighty percent of the snaps, and, and then played obviously a hundred percent this week. I, I don't know if Yannick Ngakwe, Yannick Ngakwe, would be able to fill that role uh, had he had more experience. Probably not. J- Judon is a pretty no. uh, unique player in that way, um, so that, that's certainly it. Um, and two things about that that uh, that play on the touchdown drive. Um, with Patrick Queen kind of kind of missing that assignment there, John Harbaugh has said in the past that that the toughest thing for a rookie linebacker to learn is zone coverage. So I think that's really the thing they're trying to to hammer in on with Queen. And uh, Ken, if, if you were at the game, maybe you saw it, but after that play, Marcus Peter ripped his helmet off and was was uh, saying something to, was saying something to Patrick Queen, which uh, Peters is a guy who doesn't he doesn't uh, hold back his emotions. At first, I wasn't sure, you know, maybe if he was upset at the offense for for turning the ball over, but he he was he was upset after that one. So it was pretty clearly just just a missed assignment. Yeah, it it was a bad one. Um, Peters, it's interesting because he wears his body language completely on his sleeve, yeah. just like you're talking about. And when he had the blown coverage, when he tried to jump a shorter route, I think it was to Tyreek Hill when the when McCole Hardman had the touchdown against Kansas City, yeah. you could see his shoulders slump and he walked off the field. I mean, it, it, that body language straight up and down from Peters is not normal. He should be excited or, or upset or something. And if it had been somebody else's fault, he'd have been really upset. But that one is clearly his problem. Yeah, so, you, you can tell with, with him. Yeah. You, it, the level of general frustration with Patrick Queen on the defense, I mean, I know they all know he's going to be great, and they're all excited probably about the fact that he will be great, but they're frustrated as hell with him right now. And it's across the board. You know, you see player after player making – demonstrative gestures on the field to queen. I had, I think I counted five in one game. I'm forgetting which one it was. It wasn't Kansas city. I think it might've been the Washington game or it might've been the Cincinnati game. One of those two where he had a number of coverage mistakes and, and uh, you know, was otherwise playing well, but he's just, he's frustrating as hell as a coverage player. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, who knows had it, had it been more of a regular off season had maybe that would have solved some of the issues. Um, and the and the thing is that he's made so many plays that it kind of masks it. I mean, the, the forced fumbles, the touchdown return, sure. the sacks, and I think that's why, from from a fan perspective, and even from a reporter perspective, he's been fun to watch. He's exciting. He won Defense Player of the Week, but yeah, on a on a snap to snap level, it's it's pretty clear that there's been some miscues, and you got to hope that he didn't have a preseason, didn't have a training camp. You got to hope that he's going to improve from week one to week six, week six to week 10, week 10 to week 17, maybe more than any other player on the team. Well, I think, you know, part of the reason he was drafted as high as he was, despite being a very unproven college talent, was they loved the trajectory of his improvement. And I thought, I I still think a lot of what he did in college was completely based on his own athleticism and the greatness of the players around him. So a linebacker in the 70s, who kind of reminds me of is Isaiah Robertson as being a guy who could just run all over the field behind a great defensive line and make plays for, for LA at that time. But He's 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 got a little bit of that in him. If he's in on first and second down, there's a higher probability they're going to run. There's a lower cost in terms of leverage on pass plays. I think that's the place for him right now. I think they're going to have to go back to a situation where Queen is off the field on third down. And, and they've been doing that most of the time so far. Not all the time because he's been playing some in dime. 
but they I think they could they could basically take him off the field now on third down. I think it would be the right thing for the Ravens. They've got two coverage weaknesses they really need to address, but that's the first, and that's what I'd do. Yeah, I certainly certainly think that's an option. I mean, you have to have the personnel to do it, whether it's whether it's using Judon or you know. Uh, certainly, certainly they they don't mind sliding up safeties. Uh, Chuck Clark plays in the box a lot. Uh, you, it's fine to say you need Patrick Queen off the field. I guess I guess my question would be, you just got to make yeah, Fort Fort would be the one you you would have in there. Yeah, he he played as the lone inside linebacker in dime a fair amount last year, so it really okay. makes more sense that he could be that guy. The Mike role, which Ford has not played this year specifically, mm-hmm. is not really as specific a responsibility on third down. It's you're more of a zone pass defender when you're on the field since there's so little in terms of run responsibility. So I don't think there's a I don't think there's the real problem with that. I think he could play fine with Clark uh, as the dime back mm-hmm. in, in that spot, and I mean. I, they could have gone to that in this game. There wasn't a reason why they couldn't have gone to that in this game. It's just Ford hasn't done it yet this year. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. That's a good point. I'm I'm curious whether the the team wants Queen to to take hold of that role and to improve there, and and maybe maybe down the stretch of the season, if if he's still not there yet, maybe they do turn to Ford. That'd be an interesting thing to monitor. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll put you on the spot here a little bit because I know you're a reporter and you don't like to take maybe a definitive stand on this kind of thing sometimes. But, you know, they've got the four most important games of the before the playoffs yeah. coming up these next four. These are all uh, against quarterbacks, with maybe the exception of Cam Newton, who really know how to pick apart a zone defense with short passes. And boy, that's all you need to do is you need to figure out, find Patrick Queen, find the fourth cornerback, do whatever you got to do. I mean, I'm afraid the blueprint is out right now on the Ravens, and there's going to be a lot of teams trying to use four wide receiver sets against them. That's going to be part of the installation that teams, other teams are ready to go with. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, and the four weeks, Anthony Averett's injury was, the, the fractured shoulder was, was supposed to be a five to six week injury. So it's likely that he's going to miss all those games that you talked about through that through that Steelers uh, Thanksgiving rematch. So yeah, it's, it's going to be whoever it is, Terrell Bonds, whoever else is the fourth corner. Um, I think that is the way you attack this this Ravens defense at this point is to spread them out um, the way that the Steelers did. Uh, but you know, the, the Ravens have done a pretty good job. I, I've covered the team since 2018, and they've done a really good job each of those three years making adjustments. Oh yeah. To, so it'll be interesting to see if, if a wink fires something up where where he's you know obviously the creative blitzes and, and all that stuff you know can they find something that that's an answer there or is it really just they, they right now don't have the don't have the horses to to match up with the team and and to contend with quarterbacks like these ones who get the ball out quick. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right that Wink Martindale, of all the Ravens defensive coordinators in their history, I don't necessarily think he's been the best. I think Rex Ryan is still ahead of him. I think mm-hmm. you can make the case Marvin Lewis is still ahead of him. But if you look back at who is the best adjuster, both in-game and in game planning from game to game, he's it. He is the ultimate snap count manager. He's, you know, what they did last year to revamp that that. Uh, you know, flush the quarterback, flush the flush the quarterback, flush the toilet on the inside linebacker core they had. You know, basically after four yeah. games, uh, was remarkable. Yeah, yeah, super impressive. I mean, last year it was Peanut Owasu who was supposed to, supposed to be the guy, and I think they decided <laughs> pretty quickly. Nope, he can't do it. And a lot of teams would be screwed in that situation. They figured it out. Um, and and the the way they remade the defense in 2018 it was meant to streamline communication. You know, m- make sure that that 
players could adjust, make sure it's easy for easy for players to learn, um, which is part of the reason I think they were able to last year incorporate so many new people. So, yeah, I, that's really the challenge. I think he's Wink's done a great job. The defense has done a great job, and we're talking about a blueprint to beat them, even though the Steelers didn't figure it out until the second half, right? So, um, I think there's a lot of positives, and I, I just. I don't want to give Wink the benefit of the doubt. Certainly, certainly he needs to adjust, but um, I think Ravens fans can have some confidence that, um, that if, if there's a way to, to find a fix, he's, he's going to be getting after it. Right. I, I agree. I think schematically he's a guy, he's the guy I want at the helm making those choices, certainly. But my second question is, do they really need to do something from a personnel standpoint anyway? And it would be before tomorrow at 4 PM or actually today at 4 PM when you're listening to this, do they need to try and pick up a slot corner? I, I, you know, Brian Poole has been a name mentioned. Obviously, Desmond King was mentioned before he got dealt yesterday on, on Monday. Uh, seem like a reasonable possibility still to you? Yeah, anything's possible. Uh, do they have the resources? Can, can, they, can they have the right situation where they, where they pull the trigger? Um, you know, by, by the time people are listening to this, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Eric DaCosta's already made a deal, but it, it, is, it is tough. It's, it's very difficult. And the trades that Eric DaCosta have has made have made not just in season, but even even before the season, since he's taken over, they've mostly been big big name guys. You, you trade for Clayus Campbell, you trade for Marcus Peters, um, obviously you trade for Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, you know, c- can he make that minor move just before the deadline? He hasn't he hasn't done that yet. It's not not to say that that's a problem, um, but it, it's not easy to do. Um, and certainly I think they could upgrade over Terrell Bonds. Can they do it in a manner that, that still makes sense for the team? That's the question. And I think it's going to be really hard to, to thread that needle. Right. I, I agree. But Poole and, and mm-hmm. Desmond King are both first contract players, very yeah. cheap in terms of cap cost. Final year of the deal. They're essentially rentals. If you're the New York Jets, you have a lot of cap space next, like left next year. And you might not want to trade Poole. You might want to sign him because he's one of many – who you could end up signing with your huge hoard of cash next year. If you don't, if you decide you're, you're going to be signing a lot of players, the fact that pool is traded, isn't going to hose your compensatory pick situation. So you're, 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 you weren't going to get any comp picks because you have to sign a bunch of guys with your huge hoard of cash anyway. Yeah. And, and pool pools, an interesting guy. And, and you're talking him specifically, obviously Joe Douglas, the, the Jets uh, general manager came up, you know, in, in the Ravens system and certainly has some relationship with Eric DaCosta um, and the other folks here in Baltimore. So that's possibility, no doubt. Um, and, and when you're talking about making these kind of moves, you, that matters. The familiarity matters. I, I think you can look at the Jets roster and, and realize <laughs> the familiarity matters because of how many Ravens players they have. Um, so yeah, no, I, it makes sense. Can they get something done? I'm skeptical, but but we'll see. So one of the problems is King got traded at the perfect yeah. price today for a six-round pick. Just an incredible bargain. It's the kind of move you'd expect Acosta to make. And I wonder, why didn't he make that pick? The Ravens didn't technically have a six-round selection, but that doesn't mean you can't trade you know, five for five or four for four exchange to come up with a similar kind of value that would have been there. Uh, it's, it's, to me, it's really a shame that they could not figure out how to get it done at that total draft capital cost. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and who knows what the discussions were. The team, the team is always very tight lipped about 
uh, trade discussions. Maybe something will come out at some point. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard to say. But I, I imagine DaCosta made an effort with Kang, and, and you know, who knows exactly what that effort was. But you're right. I, I think people often look into, oh, they don't have a seventh round pick, they don't have a fourth round pick. Um, these teams know they project where every team is going to draft, sure. and and they. They have their draft charts where they have values for every pick. They can find a way to, to make the value even out. Yeah, you, you put it off a year, including right. a discounted value of a pick. you got so many tools at your disposal. Right. You project the compensatory picks. You might, you might get an option to trade one there. So just a whole bunch of possibilities. Yeah. All right. We're frustrated, obviously, about that pass defense. But, but one of the reasons I want the Ravens to pick up another slot corner is just because they, they can't field a dime defense right now. And we talked about not being able to field a fourth corner dime without going down to Terrell Bonds, which is bad. But, I, but they also have a problem. They don't have a third safety who's playing right now on this team. So they have the, the big two, and they're great. They've, they've been fantastic, Elliott and Clark, this year. But the th- third safety... In 2018, Levine had a great year, but they're obviously, for injury purposes or whatever, he hasn't played since week two. Yeah, he hasn't played since week two. I think that ab injury is something that, that is significant and bothering him. At this stage of his career, I don't know if he's a guy they'd rely on to play those 20 snaps. Um, it was very surprising to me to see the team release Marcus Gilchrist, um, who was never technically on the roster. He was always a practice squad elevation. It's surprising to me to see them release Gilchrist without some corresponding move there to to find that third safety because I just think that third safety is so important, um, and that's why when you when you go back to I mean, this is bouncing around a little bit, but you go all the way back to Earl Thomas, you know, release it. They they released Earl Thomas. The ripple effects of of moves like that aren't always that that you don't have a guy to replace him. Sometimes it's who replaces the guy who replaces him because I think Elliott would have been amazing in that in that third corner role playing 25 snaps a game, uh, you know, ha- had things worked out differently. Um, so, yeah, no, the, it's, it's surprising that they, that they didn't replace Gilchrist, and it, that's something they got to figure out. Maybe they think Levine can do it at some point, but right now they don't have somebody. Yeah, the, the evidence I look for on Levine is is twofold. Number one is he, he had the greatest season ever by a Ravens dime in 2018. And I ask you to take me my word at that. I've told the fan, fans of the show this so many times they already know it by heart. Yeah. Clark then surpassed him in 2019, which is understandable. And it took a lot of Levine's playing time. He was only playing pretty much in the quarter last year. But I looked to this year, and when he was healthy in week two, he started that game at big nickel. So he's playing slot corner. Uh, you know, against the Texans to try and help, uh, you know, be the response to 12 personnel being on the field or, or sorry, to, to some 11 personnel being on the field. It's just, when I see that, I say, they're still okay having him on defense. They wouldn't put him out there in the slot and risk that if they wouldn't also be willing to have his play a more traditional dimeback role where he's been able to read quarterbacks and it's much more like playing like a linebacker with good short area instincts. So I think if he were healthy and uh, oblique injury, is that what you guess it is when they say abdomen? That is my hunch. Um, we're, we're not able to get in the locker room this year, so so haven't had a conversation with Levine specifically. But yeah, that it's, that that wouldn't surprise me if it was obliques. Yeah, so those those kind of things with baseball players, I know they last forever. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's a it's a crap situation, obviously. But uh, anyway, I, I, the lack they could go elsewhere for a third safety because they're. There are other people on the street. Maybe Brandon Carr would be the guy uh, who could come in and play that role. But but they have not made a move to get a third safety. Do you know anything from your 
you know, status in-house and whatnot about uh, either Stone or Nigel Warrior from the practice squad and potential elevation of one of those guys? No, nothing nothing um, especially interesting. The, the team has protected both of those players, not that that means a ton, um, a couple times. I think, I think they really like Stone. I, I think that maybe they aren't entirely sure uh, whether or not athletically he, he's there right now. And Nigel Warrior was a guy in training camp who would make tremendous play on the ball at, at one point, and then he would just you know, get a tongue lashing from, from Chris Hewitt, the, the past defense coordinator, the next play because he just totally butchered an assignment. So I, I think with Stone, it's a little more physical, and maybe with War, Warrior, it's a little more mental at this point. I don't know if either is, is ready to contribute um, you know, uh, regularly leading into a playoff push. Fantastic insight there. That's something I really wanted to know is what's what's kind of wrong with those guys to the fact that they're willing to go into a game with two safeties. They essentially played Chris Board in this game as a safety a fair amount. We're going to get to that a little bit in the packages. In fact, let's just jump into that right now. Um, I, I, I like to go through these, talk about what they played on each one, and then I'll wherever you like, just jump in and I'll uh, you know let you have your uh, let you have your shot. Well, so they played two jumbo packages, three defensive backs, four defensive linemen. They were. The first and third down, interestingly, on the last drive of the game, uh, they were effective on those, including the stop uh, that, that gave them one more chance. All right, continuing on, they they had a very limited use of the base defense in this game. Nine snaps. It's always it's always limited, but when the Steelers put six offensive linemen on the field, or so they put on two tight ends, uh, they used a fair amount of that. Most of that was done in the first half. So they played three snaps of six offensive line, and they also played some. Uh, uh, make sure I have this right. They also played some 12 personnel where the Ravens had it on, but uh, the base defense, very effective, nine plays, 19 yards, 2.1 yards per play. So uh, very effective in their base look. And certainly I think that's why the Steelers didn't want away from it so quickly in the second half. Um, get, get Ben Roethlisberger said after the game, he was playing a little more backyard football in the second half. I think the, the Steelers were wise to, uh, get away from that because i think that's where the ravens had had the guys to, to really stuff them all right the jumbo nickel we talk about on this show one inside linebacker three down linemen fairly unusually used the ravens just mix it in occasionally only one snap in this game for you well, one play one yard on that uh with queen as the only inside linebacker of course because he played every snap rush nickel now this is an interesting one um they put this on the field on third down now what's happening here is they have the standard two outside line, sorry, three outside linebackers on the play, which they normally have when they're in the dime. One defensive lineman only, but they had two inside linebackers instead with Board as the second inside linebacker. Effectively in that role, Board is switching to play the role of a dime safety or a dime back. And so it's, it looks like a rush nickel in terms of the, the, the personnel that's on the field with only five defensive backs but it's really more like a heavy dime thing with board in there. Very effective on those plays, by the way, board really was not the problem in this game. He played decently as the third safety four plays minus two yards. All four of those plays were drive ending third down snaps. That's impressive. That's uh, good stats to know. And, and obviously board speed has, has been something the team's liked and, and interesting that they were able to use that as effectively as they did. Yeah, a pass defense in the game last week, which was, or sorry, a game yeah. Yeah, two weeks ago. And then yeah. a, uh, a forced fumble in this game got half the credit for the sack on of uh, Roethlisberger, even though the Ravens could not get it recovered. Uh, he wasn't perfect, 
He played two other snaps in, in a standard nickel. And this is one of the weird thing about trying to define packages is you get in these situations where the personnel looks like a standard nickel, which is two, 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 and five, meaning two, in, two defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, and five defensive backs. But it's not really a standard nickel because Board is one of them, and he's really trying to act like a dime back on the play. And it's, it's, it's six of one, a half dozen the other. Obviously, I put it in the standard nickels in this game. Not obviously, but I did. And uh, he allowed a 13-yard screen pass to Connor that I don't think is correctly assigned by some other rating services. And then he also he was closest in zone when Roethlisberger had the third and four completion for seven yards to Smith-Schuster. So they were in a second and 17 situation. He gave up consecutive plays effectively of 13 and seven yards there. So that's a frustrating frustrating sequence there, but yeah, good to know. What are you, what are you going to do, right? Standard nickel overall, uh, you know, they got back to fairly decent run defense in it with Williams and Wolf back. And it's a big difference having Williams and Wolf and having – Washington and who else was it? Ellis no. <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and they they talk up Justin Ellis, and and he he was he's been active, um, you know, in several games when I, when I thought maybe he was borderline. They, they talk him up. They seem to like him. He's obviously a veteran guy who's been around, but he he's not Brandon Williams. That's that's uh, pretty clear. I think every. Every time that people start to badmouth Brand Williams a little bit, he miss a game, misses a game, and people realize just how much our defense needs him. Right, and it's—I mean, you know, it, yeah, you pay a defensive tackle who's not not really a pass rusher. I, I understand why that's going to draw so much skepticism, so so much criticism. But r- stopping the run is still a very important, very important, and, and he's um, he's one of the best, really, in, in the NFL. And, and I think the team values what he brings in that regard. Right. Well, anyway, they played, they played the standard nickel 18 times total in the game. They allowed 4.4 yards per carry on those play. Two weeks ago, that was 14.6 yards per carry. That was 146 on 10 carries versus the standard nickel. We've talked about this occasionally on the show, but this the hallmark of the Ravens defense, the absolute hallmark for 25 years, has been able to been a, the ability to have the personnel to stop the opponent from running with 11 personnel against a six-man box. And that's basically what, what this, that's use of standard nickel. They've always had personnel that have been great on the outside, an outside linebacker, great on the inside in terms of big bodies who could stuff it, and great linebackers who could chase and tackle. And it's they are remarkable in their consistency and their ability to do that, and it's nice to see them get back to it, even though 4.4 yards per carry isn't really a Ravens-type uh result with it 35 yards on eight carries but it's, a, it's 10 yards better per carry than they were without brandon williams yeah that's interesting i i didn't realize how how poorly that was that happened against the eagles um and you know with with those sample sizes one, one big run can can skew it but um yeah and good to see them uh play a little bit better and, and brandon williams is, is a guy who, who makes that big of a difference yeah really really exciting to, to, to having him back was definitely a big deal Let's go to the next package, the race car nickel. Now, you've heard me talk about the race car dime a fair amount, and the Ravens have played approximately or almost now 150 snaps of four outside linebacker formations. And this would be the one where Judon would have been used if he stayed around in this game more, I think. But they got to play it once. They used Judon as a standing inside linebacker on the play. They still also had Queen in the game on that play. Uh, but they used four outside linebackers, 
one inside linebacker and one defensive lineman, which meant they only had a nickel secondary and not a dime secondary, which is where the race car nickel, where the race car is usually used. I'm going to take you back here for a second. The only time they have previously done this with five defensive backs on the field were the very first three times that Martindale used the race car in team history, which was versus Buffalo uh, in that opener in 2018. They've always otherwise used it with the dime defense. And a very significant portion of total snaps here. And I mean, you haven't been on the show so far this year, but last year, 13.2% of the snaps were in this four outside linebacker package with the dime. And that's, it's more than they played the base defense. That's interesting. And, and I mean, they've got, they've got the guys to do it, right? I mean, uh, yesterday. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Sunday, when you're looking at who's on the active roster, uh, you've got Bowser, you've got Ngakwe, you've got McPhee, you've got Ferguson and Judon having not been um, ejected. They've, they've got the players to do it. So um, it seems like they've sort of built their defense to, to be able to, to lean on that package. Yeah, they, they really have. And, and in, in particular, next year is going to be interesting because Judon and Bowser are both free agents and they're what drive the thing because they're both linebackers who can drop to cover and, and they – drive a lot of the scheme wink can throw into this defense which is which is really uh nice and wrinkly uh but i i think they really have to try and sign one of them i, I think it's more likely probably they're going to try and keep bowser and ngakwe next year uh but we'll see bowser may be too expensive as well he may be he may be a guy that you know gets an opportunity elsewhere i'm i'm kind of hoping even though i wouldn't really wish this on bowser that nobody really has money to spend and the ravens get a shot at getting it back at not too expensive yeah that makes sense i so i think that's got to be a market thing the right player right play, price ozzy ozzy newsome eric costa mantra they, they they'll stick to that and i imagine uh, bowser for the reasons you mentioned is, is a valuable player and, and a you know, hard-working guy who's drafted with the team but i, I don't think they view him as as you know, a top top tier outside linebacker who deserves to be taking up a, a big chunk of cap space. So it'll be interesting to see if there is a market or if the team maybe maybe tries to strike a deal with him before it gets to the market if if they can do it at a cheap enough price. You know, both of those have been have been suggested as possibilities. So possibly number one is that he plays on a really cheap contract next year because nobody has money. So it maybe he comes in and plays for two and a half, three million, something like an RFA tender, mm-hmm. effectively that kind of money but it's only a one-year deal or possibly number two is they say, well, we really like you. We'll sign you for three years for 18 million or some amount that's like that, a kind of a moderate kind of amount. And it would be a fairly significant uh, assignment of cap, but I just think he's so important to their scheme that they'd, they'd probably go with there with that. And, and the Ravens have done that certainly since DaCosta's taken mm-hmm. over with Tavon Young, Nick Boyle, uh, Patrick Ricard. Patrick Card, Chuck Clark, even I, I think mm-hmm. those are all those are all deals that are kind of in that range where where you're not making a guy anywhere near the the highest pay to his position, but you're given enough money, and he's a very all those guys are very specific to the Ravens scheme. So certainly that's a possibility. Uh, a lot of that depends on on how much Bowser and Bowser's agents you know 
what they view his market as, you know, before, before free agency as well. That's a really good point. That's a lot of it will depend on that. All right, let's move on to the, the dime package the Ravens used. Uh, this four cornerback dime, we talked about a little bit of this. One of the really weird things in this game was the atypical down and distance usage. Now, tell me if this sounds like when you use the dime defense. Twice, the Steelers spread the field with four wide receivers, and the Ravens on third and one put the dime in. Both times, the Steelers converted by pass against the dime on third and one. Didn't try and run it. Ran with an empty backfield, in fact, in fact, on both plays. Uh, and it's 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 it goes beyond normal to insulting the fact that the Steelers are able to dictate the Ravens play the dime, then also beat it on third and one plays like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that that's I don't know, I wouldn't say a slap in the face, but that's something that that I think probably irritates the Ravens defense more than more than pretty much anything else that that transpired on Sunday. Where's the other interesting thing is that they didn't ha- use it at the end of the half. They didn't use the dime. It was it was used at the long the two long drives and every single other usage was on first or second down. Very unusual because the dime defense high leverage get the o- opponent off the field on a third down or on a passing down typically. So you might see it on second and 10, but but to 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 see it on all first and second downs, very unusual. Uh, all dictated in terms of usage by the Steelers. They figured out what they had to beat the Ravens with, and they honestly did a great job of adjusting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, certainly, you know, the Steelers made that tactical adjustment and very concerted effort to do that. And, and I'm curious, I guess they didn't, now that I think about it, they, they didn't face too many third and longs, and, and maybe that, that played into that as well. Yeah, not too many. They, they had a few in the first half. They had, you know, third and seven, third and ten. A lot of those plays, they were in that that uh, the package I named earlier because they had board on the field for the right. rush nickel. So they had a third and three, a third and ten, a third and twelve, and another third and ten at the beginning of the second half where they had board on uh, for all four of those, and, and they were able to get them off. But then Steelers figured it out. They figured out the magic code. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, really frustrating. Obviously, we've been fans of outstanding dime defense here in Baltimore for for the team's history. Uh, they used it all basically the entire time, except for five years under Dean Pease, the first five of his six year tenure here. Uh, to not be able to field a good dime and to go into a game with a kind of the helplessness of knowing you're not going to be able to field a good dime because you're both a safety short and a corner short in terms of real quality, very frustrating to me. Yeah, I certainly can understand that, and and just one of those things where you kind of expect that they have an answer when when they didn't release Marcus Gilchrist, and and mm-hmm. you know you just kind of expect that they have an answer, they have an improvement there, and, and they didn't pretty clearly. You didn't get anything more from the interviews or from question answered about the reason why the team would have released Gilchrist after he seemingly had played decently. He he did seem to have a coverage breakdown on one of the longer plays, the fifty yarder to. High Smith, High Tower, High Tower. Yeah, yeah, High yeah. Tower in, in the Eagles game. Um, nothing, nothing specific. Um, yeah, part, partly because there's so much news to get to this week with with Tez Bryant and uh, and Gakwe and just just the rivalry that uh, maybe a small storyline like that kind of slipped through slipped through the cracks when when in other weeks it, it could have been explored a little bit more. Uh, Chris Hewitt, the past defense coordinator, uh, defensive backs coach, essentially, he, he talked a couple weeks ago in a really complimentary of 
of Gilchrist basically said that he's a veteran who's played in similar defenses and, mm-hmm. and really sees the defense the way we like it. So I was pretty stunned. And, and again, it's, it's not just about Gilchrist. It, it's about the fact that there wasn't a corresponding move to, to find that number six defensive back in whatever form, you know, that would have been. Hey, other guys sitting on the practice squad is a, is a veteran is Nate Hairston. Yeah. Any, any indications yeah. maybe of what might be done with him? Yeah, he's a he's a uh, Maryland native, Frederick, I think. Temple uh, played at Temple, has some experience with the Colts, Jets, uh, Jets. Yeah, so um, yeah, he. Th- I, I'm not entirely sure what what they think of him. He was only signed the week of the of the Eagles game, so right before. So he's had two weeks of practice now. I, I think he's not quite as experienced as Gilchrist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Harrison's played like 40 career games, whereas Gilchrist has been around forever. So, mm-hmm. so he probably would be a guy who might need an extra week of practice before he's ready. Um, to my knowledge, he's mostly been a, been a pure corner, but maybe he's a guy they they um, they think can can shift around the defense. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I mean the other moving part they have is Jimmy Smith that they could mm-hmm. move him to safety, and and he's already done some of that this year. Uh, we talked enough about that. I, I I meant to talk about Jimmy, but we could talk about him because he's terrific in the game. I want, to, I want to talk about the pass rush a little bit before we do that. Now I know everybody's interested in the in the first start from Yannick Ngakwe and and what happened with him. The Ravens did a I think the best they could in terms of getting Ben to release the ball quickly. They kind of knew he would. They didn't take a lot of chances with numbers in this game. In fact, I have numbers for you here. They used one pass rush of three, 21 with four, where they averaged 6.2 yards per pass, 12 rushes of five, where they averaged only 2.9 yards per pass. They had one sack and one turnover on those. They never, never in this game rushed six plus. First time this year that they had not rushed six plus on any play. So I would call it a very conservative scheme by numbers. Yeah, a conservative scheme, and and I think maybe we thought going in, you know, you get a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, and you think maybe you don't need to blitz as much. Um, I, I think that those numbers are probably more about trying to defend Roethlisberger and the scheme there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, like we keep talking about it, for the most part, it 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 worked pretty well. Um, they did a, the defense did a great job for a, a good chunk of the game, and the issues. Sure, you might have wanted to get to Roethlisberger, you know, one, one or two more times. But I think if you have better coverage, I don't think I don't think the rate, uh, the Steelers find that rhythm. So um, I don't think you fall. I, yeah, they didn't blitz as much. I think I think you mentioned that, that Washington was the only game they didn't they blitzed less. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't necessarily think that that those calls were were a problem or, or anything like that. I, I didn't think so either. And when you look yeah. at it, the 5.1 yards per pass, as much as we didn't like the fact that they exploited the dime when the time really came and it, they had two long drives against the Ravens defense, which isn't supposed to happen. But the, the fact that they only allowed 5.1 yards per pass, that's good enough to win. That should win you the game. They, it was really more a function of penalties and turnovers that really cost them the game otherwise than that. Yeah. And if, and if you want to focus on the defense, I guess, I guess the, not the gripe, but the counterpoint would be that they only forced the one turnover. You know, they, you didn't intercept mm-hmm. Roethlisberger and sack him enough. Um, and that's all, that's all fair. Um, but yeah, the defense certainly played well enough. Had Lamar Jackson not turned the ball over four times, you're, you're talking about how the defense held up so well. And, and those two late touchdowns the Steelers scored 
when they spread spread out we're just in garbage time you know yes the ravens, <laughs> the ravens had a dominant win so yeah. yeah i think i think overall you know there's a lot to be pleased about right i i, I... Roethlisberger had ample time and space, which is the metric I use for a three-second pocket on just five of 34 dropbacks in this game. Now, there are 14 times where he had the ball out quickly of 34 dropbacks. First of all, that's remarkably high. But second of all, I, I have a bias towards not giving an ample time and space on that. If I think it might have occurred, I, I, sorry, if I think it would have occurred, I give it to him. But if I'm not sure if it would have occurred, I don't give it to him. So five out of thirty-four is only fifteen percent. That's ridiculously low. It yeah. certainly isn't is a amount. It's not an amount of pressure, but it's an amount of denied ample time in the pocket, which was the big problem early in Roethlisberger's career. That he should the Ravens should have generated some turnovers or some other high variance results, whether that's uh, additional sacks or uh, perhaps a holding call that they could have gotten. They should have had some more things good happen, given the paucity of ample time and space that Roethlisberger had. Yeah. And I think if you're a Ravens fan, that's, that's probably pretty encouraging that, that, you know, you, you put Roethlisberger, I, I don't know if under duress is the right word, but, but it's not like he, he was comfortable all game. It, the problem is when you have a veteran quarterback and, and the Steelers, like we said, like to mix the ball around it and they've got enough talent to do it, you know, Roethlisberger is the kind of guy who, who even, even in tough, and he's been the whole, for his whole career, you put him in tough situations. That doesn't necessarily mean you get the results you want. Yeah. All right. A few other things. I, I talk about the, the uh, uh, deceptive elements, five blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. That was a low for the season. Two each by Humphrey and Queen led the team. They used 10 individual stunts. Those were split over eight pass plays. Now those were very effective. They had two sacks, two quarterback hits, two pressures, and of six passes thrown among those eight plays, they only had 18 net yards, so 2.3 yards per play. I look at that stunt success, particularly with the return of Judon in, next, in the next game and the other elements they have put together on this team with great underneath stunt players as what being one of the big positive indicators for the rest of the year. Yeah, that, that's something that, that, again, same, same deal, should be, should be very encouraging. They, one of the things I wanted to mention specifically on this is that they really went after the Steelers' right A-gap. And right A-gap, of course, between the center and the right guard, that's Marquise Pouncey, eight-time Pro Bowler, and David DeCastro. David DeCastro, right? Yeah, six to five-time Pro Bowler. Uh, and that's a good gap to be able to stunt through. And it's really a measure of the ability of Wolf in particular, but also of McPhee to draw double teams there that created those stunt opportunities there. One of them was on the play where Ngakwe stunted through, missed the, missed the sack of Roethlisberger, but he got the initial pressure, and then Elliott and Board were able to clean up. Yeah, uh, I think I think all that's a good point. And, and McPhee is just a guy you mentioned. Um, I think I think we kind of expect that out of Wolf. McPhee's a guy who's been really, really solid. And, and oh, yeah. I think going into this offseason – I think there was some question as to whether or not he'd play again after the injury he suffered last year. So he's been an encouraging guy. Now he's, he's again playing way more snaps than I think is probably a good idea. I think they really need to focus his snaps down, but it's so hard to get him off the field because he's great against the run and the pass. He's just been dominating. What do they do with a guy like that? And, and what do they do about signing him for next year? 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting because next year he'll be going in, into what year year eleven, yeah. um, and if. I, Sure, uh, you thought after after the triceps injury, maybe his career was over. I think a lot of folks probably thought, you know, after his stint with Washington, maybe he wouldn't he mm-hmm. wouldn't you know find a roster. So he's a really interesting guy. He he seems like he holds the edge really well, but he can also you know you move him inside to rush. Kind of versatile player that 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 they love. Um, but you're right. I, I do think they are intending, and I, I think it might have started on Sunday. Had had. Uh, Judon not been ejected, I, I think they're probably intending to, to reel back his his snaps a little bit mm-hmm. uh, at some point soon. Well, it's interesting because they have some options to do so, but this is a point in the show where we usually just start picking individual players. So you pick one, and then I'll pick one. We'll talk about your guy, and then we'll talk about my guy, and each have a chance to respond. Four or five exchanges is fine here. All right. Well, um, I guess I'll start with Marcus Peters just because he's a guy we talked about before that, that kind of caught my eye, you know, forced to fumble – um, right after he, he had committed a penalty. And he's just a guy who you just get a sense that, that this season he's going to make some, some play, good or bad, that's just going just, just gonna to really turn the season. And I think his kind of explosive nature, when, he, when we mentioned he ripped his helmet off and, and yelled at Patrick Queen, he's just a guy who, who so often catches my eye. I thought he played really well um, mm-hmm. on Sunday. And when we talked about the, 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 the Ravens defense didn't force any turnovers. He's, he's a guy who did it. He, he, and he's not always been a punch out kind of guy, but, but he did it on, um, on Sunday. Wasn't as clear from the broadcast angle, but Peters had, I thought a really good interception opportunity when he had step-by-step coverage down the right sideline, did not turn for the football mm-hmm. the way he normally does. And I, I thought it was very close, but it wasn't as clear from the broadcast angle that that should have been an interception. Yeah, I do. I remember that play and, yeah, yeah, and with him, it's such a high bar because mm-hmm. he's so good, good making plays on the ball generally. Um, but you know, still in position, and and part of the reason that that the Steelers need to spread out and and pick on Terrell Bonds is because the Ravens have you know such such good corners and and Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, and Marcus Peters at those other spots. Oh, how about Jimmy Smith in this game? Great, great game again. I thought for him. I, you know, I was not in favor of spending a lot of money to re-sign Jimmy Smith, and I was in favor of cutting him before the last year of his contract. But he's been a godsend to this dif- this defense. I mean, he provides all the flexibility in the defensive backfield to play safety or corner. He's been outstanding when he's played corner. You know, this was another great game. They got thrown at you know, a handful of times, maybe six, maybe seven, uh, with only a couple completions are very short. Uh, had great coverage on the boundary and what I call the Ike Taylor treatment, where he kind of forces a receiver out of bounds. I'm forgetting who that was. It might have been Deontay Johnson early in the game. They kind of forced out of bounds. You might remember. Yeah, I think I, uh, I don't want to say for sure, but I do remember that play. And Jimmy seems to be great at that when he just kind of shields you. Mm-hmm. I thought Brendan Carr is pretty good too, but but Jimmy with his kind of longer body is great at that. And um, he had an Achilles injury that, that just popped up on the injury report Thursday that, you know, guy like that he's just always seems like he's on the injury report and in previous years he missed some games but this year he's been able to play through everything and it's really a credit to him not only he's been able to play through everything but he's he's played so well yeah kind of a kind of a scary proposition with the achilles i mean i think yeah. I, while he's played so well i want him on the field more but he's very much like mike mcphee i think we need to if there's if there's some physical limit to what he can do and he would really benefit from a lower snap count, then I think you want him on the highest leverage snaps, which makes sense then for him to come in in the dime defense 
get the other team off the field, but not be in there down after down after down playing outside corner. So a slot corner, acquiring one of those, allows Marlon Humphrey, when healthy, to move back to the outside along with Peters, and it gives you that flexibility for fewer snaps for Jimmy Smith. Right, and and slot corner would be great, but again, the problem is, can, can you find the guy before before 4 p.m. Uh, Tuesday? And, you know, Marlon Humphrey, he's seems like he's, gonna, he's definitely going to miss at least one game if if the Colts Ravens game you know arrives on time um and who knows possibly more he's got to wait at least three days uh from his most recent symptoms to, to return to team activity so if Marlon Humphrey misses two or three games all of a sudden you you might not have any choice but to play Jimmy Smith close to close to 100 percent of the defensive snaps the le- next couple weeks and, and really important game yeah, I, I don't think there really is an option, at least against yeah. the Colts. And, and it, may, it sounds like it might be two games that Humphrey misses with a 10-day window, even though it's technically 13 until they play that, that game after the Colts. Is it Titans or the, or the New England after the Colts? That's the Patriots, I believe. And then um, okay. then they play the, the Titans at home okay. after that. All right, very good. How about another player? I just picked Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Um, Let's. I, we mentioned him before, but Jalen Ferguson, I thought, um, had a pretty good game. I, I assume he played more than he would have otherwise with with Judon um, being ejected. But he, he's a guy who I, I just I thought last year when he had to come in for McPhee, this the Seahawks game is when McPhee got hurt last year, and the Seahawks started to run it at, at Ferguson almost play after play because they just didn't think he could hold the edge. Now it seems like he, he's setting the edge all right. He, he got in on Roethlisberger that one time. And a little bit of – it's encouraging because he was a guy who maybe you thought might have been inactive when, when they uh, traded for Ngakwe. Yeah, great point. I thought Ferguson really had the game that really uh, brings back thoughts of what we hoped he was when he was drafted. Because, I mean, the thought was you have a really big guy here – Tremendous college sack record, very much like Terrell Suggs. Now, nobody was really, I don't think, hoping that we'd get Terrell Suggs in the third round, I guess he was drafted in, whenever he was drafted. Yeah, yeah and, third round. And so, you know, that wouldn't have been realistic, but he's he's had never really put together any game where he, where he, shown, he flashed in all facets. So he had the cleanup sack you mentioned. He took care – if you look at Q3705, take a look at this when you get a chance. Anyway, you may be able to pull it up now. But he shed a pulling left guard. I can't even tell you how rare that is for a, a, a defensive end outside linebacker to do, to shed a pulling left guard to make a tackle uh, for on Connor. He did everything right on that play. Kept his arm on the outside. Everything was right for him to take down Connor after he shed him. Just what it, It's a Suggs-like play in terms of his ability to play the run. Suggs, of course, while a good pass rusher, was a generational run stopper on the outside. He's one of the big reasons the Ravens had that dominant nickel for all the years. Yeah, and, and that's really important to the Ravens. That's that's why McPhee has, has been back and been valued and, and really important. And it makes you wonder, you know, when when a young player sees that a team is willing to trade to bring somebody else in. It doesn't motivate you a little bit. Maybe it light, lights a fire under you. Sometimes sometimes we maybe put too much weight to that sort of stuff, but it certainly seems like it's worth questioning whether whether Jalen Ferguson kind of woke up a little bit when uh, when Yannick Ngakwe arrived. Yeah, well, it's I think it would have to have that impact on him. I mean, he certainly yeah. had a big game, and, and I think you're right that he's found a spot for himself now on first and second down, given the edge setting game he had. 
And, you know, McPhee might be the other guy who plays there, but they really need McPhee on passing downs. And it would be nice if they could find a way to use maybe a little bit of a rotation opposite Ferguson on first and second down and really make him their primary run stop for this, for this place. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it, and it kind of, you know, it solves the problem of, of McPhee playing too many snaps. It gets a young player, more experience, um, and they've got the space to keep him active. Why not, why not give him that role? Yeah, he's a rush linebacker because very in, uh, infrequently does he ever get asked to drop the coverage, but he did once in this mm-hmm. game, and I thought it was really impressive. It's at Q3-144, folks out there, if you want to take a look at it. But he dropped to a short zone, and it appeared he was in the throwing lane, and Roethlisberger had to alter the pass to get it through to Smith-Schuster, which then made it be off target. So he didn't get a pass defense on the play, but I thought he did a really good job of kind of knowing what was going on behind him and perhaps reading Roethlisberger to do so maybe understanding the route concept off the line of scrimmage, but I honestly think it's more likely he just read Roethlisberger in terms of where he was going with the ball. Yeah, and and Wink Martindale's talked about that a little bit, is, is sometimes that's that's really when you drop these guys back in coverage, it's not necessarily asking them to to, to diagnose a route or anything like that. It's, it's really just you drop them back and, and you got those big long arms and, and hopefully that they can they can see the quarterback and be athletic and make a play and not something that that Jalen Ferguson or Clay's Campbell, whoever mm-hmm. you know, uh, is expected to do regularly. But it's something that that these guys can do, and and the Ravens are going to give them the chance to do it. That that's for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a really fun scheme thing to do. I think against short against uh, short passing games yes. because it, anytime you you get a um, outside linebacker or anybody dropping from the line of scrimmage and then moving laterally. You have a chance for a quick close of a window. The quarterback's very focused on the front side of that window and beating the trailing defender and making sure the ball's in the spot for the for the receiver. But it's the guy closing from the other side that's closing the window very rapidly in a relative sense because both those players, of course, moving to each other in a relative sense. And he's the one who's usually got the chance for the good interception or the pass defense or whatever. And it's just there's really good opportunity for that. And when the Ravens have weakness there, it could be these simulated pressure opportunities where they take a chance to drop guys from the line of scrimmage, move them laterally. That gives a lot of opportunity to create havoc in those short zones. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a way to, to address it. If teams try and spread you out and, and with these short passes and we talk about turnovers, the Ravens know they need to create turnovers. That's, that's been a big focus, big part of their success so far this season. And if, if that's a way to do it, um, I think so often we kind of assume that turnovers are just, you know, ball hawking cornerbacks or ball hawking safety. <laughs> it's there's there's scheme. There's there's you know these coordinators know how to how to generate opportunities for that, and, and that might be a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely is scheme and then opportunity. The Ravens have done right. a great job with the opportunity on some of the second man of the ball, forced fumble stuff, and first man of the ball. By the way, I mean, you know, their cornerbacks are looking to take the ball <laughs> away. Pretty, yeah, and they finish every practice. Um, with these drills where, uh, you know, a running back will hold the ball and, and coaches will try and punch it out. And then on defense, it's vice versa. You know, some cornerback will hold the ball and everyone else tries to punch it out. They, it's, it's not just lip service when they say we work on it all the time. They, they end uh, every practice with, with turnover drills. Yeah, that is a lot of fun to watch during camp, that's for sure. The yeah. other one that I don't know if they used in this camp because, you know, it wasn't there, but the tennis ball gun, did they, were they using that again to try and – Increase interception rates. I, I don't remember seeing that this year. Actually, um, we got we we were able to watch most of most of every training camp practice. Um, 
but obviously it was a shorter training camp and then, and then they cut it off for us a couple days earlier than they would have otherwise. So, but yeah, that, that's a fun one too. Uh, anyway, we wouldn't be doing justice to the show if we didn't talk about Yannick Ngakwe's uh, first game as a Raven. Uh, well played in some respects. Uh, did not have uh, a big impact on pressure. He did have two pressures as I scored it in 31 snaps. What I thought was really good, and I know the Ravens will be really happy if this maintains the ways, 27 pass snaps and four run snaps. And that is perfect. You want your situational pass rushers to actually be on the field for passes. Yeah, that that's interesting that, that it worked out so evenly like that. You wonder how much of that is is um that's kind of random chance and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I asked, I asked Calais Campbell actually after the game about Ngakwe just, just to, to get his perspective. And um he said that it's just so hard for a pass rusher when, when Roethlisberger's getting the ball out like that mm-hmm. to, to get into a rhythm and, and maybe it was, it was a tough it was kind of a tough time to make his, his team debut because of how quick Roethlisberger was getting the ball out, but you know, um, certainly, certainly getting his feet wet. You, you can't match Marcus Peters's uh, mid-season team debut from last year. So, uh, hope, hopefully, Ngakwe makes a little bit more of an impact moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I think he'll be there. I think there. I see so much positive coming out of the stunt game. I think mm-hmm. he's more involved in that here in Baltimore than he was in Minnesota. They did not stunt as much there. He was much more in these wide nine stands. I don't know how how much of his how many of his snaps from there you watched, but uh, I looked at all of all the past snaps he was in, and he he was. Uh, you know, I thought there were other things he'd help the Ravens more: fanning out tackles, creating large open space to to be used. That didn't really happen in this game. But again, Campbell made the point, and it's really accurate, that with the ball out so quickly, there isn't time for a lot of these scheme elements to develop in, in uh, as quickly as you'd hope. Yeah, certainly. And, and you know, who, who knows? Maybe if Judon's still in there, they, they, they use Ngakwe in, in some different different way. But maybe this just wasn't quite the game for, for him to make, make the impact. Um, but, you know... I, Certainly, I don't think he played poorly from from the little bit I rewatched and, and watching live. Um, he was around the ball a few times, never really seemed to get to get caught anywhere. It's just it didn't didn't make the impact play you kind of hope when when you trade for a for a Pro Bowl caliber guy uh, and you trade two draft picks for him. Yeah, he definitely they they it looked like the whole team and especially Campbell really wanted him to get that first sack. Or maybe it was McPhee yeah. who was talking to him after the play, but. Uh, that didn't work out, but but I, he was in a couple impactful pressures he was part of, and so I'm I'm okay with that. Is there another player, or do you want you want to maybe take some mailbag questions? You ready for that, or what? Was you... Yeah, we can do some mailbag questions if if there are some good ones. Okay. All right, the mailbag is your chance to steer the show using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag over on Twitter. All right, we've got a few in here, and let's start. Um, Let's start with how the Steelers' offense affected. Is the empty formation uh, played in the second half kind of the blueprint to stop Wink's dynamic defense? This is from Shea. Yeah, so we, we hit on this a little bit earlier, and I'm afraid that it might be right now, particularly with Humphrey out for a game. seems like forcing the Ravens into a four-corner alignment, and now it looks like maybe both Dorsey and Bonds in at the slot on each side would be the result of that. Is Pretty freaking scary from the Ravens' perspective. So uh, I, I think quite possibly. Yeah, 
I, I'm a little skeptical to say that there, there's a blueprint because as I mentioned before, to, to repeat myself, I, I, I do think there's there's some faith to be had in, in Wink Martindale. And, and not every team has the, the wide receiver talent and the quarterback talent as the Steelers do. Um, so I don't know if blueprint, I, I would go that far, but it is an issue and, and it's something the Ravens are going to have to address during this really crucial stretch against some talented offenses and, and veteran quarterbacks. Is Philip Rivers the kind of quarterback you would think might be able to might be able to execute that kind of a plan, even if the Colts had to go to a lesser wide receiver as their fourth? You would assume so, because uh, again, he's a veteran guy. He, he's gotten the ball out pretty quick in the past in San Diego, and and Frank Reich has coached in all different kinds of schemes, but little little West Coast kind of uh, seem, seems to be his preference. So. And, and he's a good game planner who, who likes to take advantage of things. So um, it, it's something I, I imagine that the Colts will, will do a little bit of what the Steelers did in the second half and that Phillip Rivers is capable of doing what Ben Roethlisberger did when he got into a groove. All right. All right. What's a bigger from Daniel? What's a bigger need right now for the Ravens as they got to hurry up and try to make a trade if they can would you say cornerback, wide receiver, or uh, offensive tackle? I'm all in on slot corner. I don't think there's an offensive tackle out there they can get at any reasonable price. Not that's any good. Uh, even the bad teams who have a good, have a decent tackle, maybe even at the end of this contract, they may be trying to protect the quarterback or protecting their other players and don't want to trade him. But tackle's been very dear uh, in terms of price. I think it's slot corner and not wide receiver where they need to go. I think I'd, ag- I'd agree in terms of, of who's available. Um, when you talk about bigger need in terms of what is the thing that could, that could really derail, you know, a a really promising season, I think if DJ Fluker isn't quite capable of, of pass blocking, or if you get another injury there, because it looks like now Will Holden is most likely their, their backup swing tackle. If he comes off the practice squad, I don't know. I, we'll see. We'll see. So, um, I agree that if we're talking trade, it's probably slot corner is more reasonable, but if you're talking, what's the scariest thing? Uh, offensive tackle should, should be in that conversation for sure. Okay, that's a fair point. I would agree with with both comments. All right, uh, Darren has some positive thoughts on Chris Board, and meanwhile, Jason has some negative thoughts on Terrell Bonds, and they're both wondering why these guys are on the field if they should be on more or less. I think we talked a little bit about Chris Board earlier. I think he basically did the job in particular being on there for four third down stops. It was a little frustrating the two times he was on where they where he gave up consecutive pass plays, but basically no problem with Board's performance in the game. I thought he was fine. Uh, in terms of Bonds, uh, he's a weakness the other team is going to exploit. He's a, he's a undersized guy, which seems to affect his ability to, to get rubbed off plays, and that, that would concern me about him. Yeah, I mean, Terrell Bonds is what he is. Um, to defend him a little bit, I mean, he's a guy who played in the AFL, Tennessee State guy, really competes hard. And when you spread out the Ravens and Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters, and Marlon Humphrey are, are the other three cornerbacks, of course Ben Roethlisberger is going to attack Terrell Bonds. So, and it's you know the Ravens wouldn't wouldn't be leaning on him, you know, wouldn't be playing him as much as they as they did if they hadn't had injuries at that position. So. Um, yeah, do, do you want Terrell Bonds on the field often? Probably not. Yesterday was or Sunday was the, the first time he's played any defensive snaps in his career um, in the NFL. Uh, 
could he get better? Absolutely. And, and, and is he a guy that fans should rag on? Uh, you, you can, but he is who he is. It's not like this is a third round pick who's, who is in year four and, and should be stepping up at this point. He, he's, he's kind of the, the guy they had, they turned to cause they, they had to, they had nowhere else to go. Yeah. First, first year player, obviously no choice. You know, does it bother you at all that Khalil Dorsey was the first guy they called up? And obviously, this is his, was his second second week, even third week for Khalil Dorsey because he's on the active roster now, right? And Bonds is a is a, is a PS call up. Correct. And Bonds has now been called up twice. So if they called him up again, he would be exposed to waivers. They will have two open roster spots with with Humphrey on COVID nineteen list and Stanley eventually going on IR. He hasn't he hasn't been on mm-hmm. reserve. Um, yeah, so they could call somebody else up. Maybe they'll do that with Bonds. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that that frustrates me or concerns me. I, I think that's just about special teams and about Dorsey. They like they like Dorsey on punt coverage. Um, and may, I think with that calculation, it's probably who's more likely to, to entice another team and maybe Dorsey being um, a year younger or coming to the NFL a year later, maybe that factored into that. Okay, that's a possibility. All good, all good thoughts there. You, you did mention a good point that the Ravens, actually have 10 offensive linemen right now on the roster, which is unusual because of the Cologne-Castillo elevation to try and keep him away. So it would be natural for them to drop back to nine and have a nine to make eight on game day set of offensive linemen. Yeah, but they could. But if they really like Cologne-Castillo and, and don't you know, want to give him up, you know, he, he's got to stay on the roster. So you, you've got nine once you leave Stanley. Do you bring Will Holden you yeah. know, up to the roster full-time? Is he a practice squad? Because right now, if you've got nine, take Stanley out of the picture because he'll be on injury reserve soon. You've got nine guys, but really all four who, who would be coming off the bench, we'll assume Phillips is starting. The four who are coming off the bench are all interior guys. Mm-hmm. Patrick Patrick McCarry, maybe, you know, he played tackle a little bit in college, but him, uh, Powers, Bredesen, Clone Castillo, those, those are all interior guys. You need to have a tackle at some point. Can can you really rely on the practice squad elevations to to fill that spot? So that'll be interesting to see. So the the point was made, and there's a there's a period on Monday where the protected practice squad players are available mm-hmm. to be taken by another team. So just the fact that they protect Will Holden is not going to do it for two practice squad elevations. Now he's been released eight times I think in his career by seven teams or this is his seventh team and he's also been released seven I've, I've lost track of the numbers but it did I thought he would make the team at the beginning of the year because I didn't think there was another obvious tackle uh, I do think it probably makes sense now to, to activate him uh, as you mentioned and then that really does pose the question raise the question of is it time to send down another player and maybe it's Cologne Castillo maybe it's somebody else um, and there really isn't anybody else at this point you could IR Tyree Phillips. That would be the other thing that could happen if his injury is expected to last longer than two weeks. Yeah, with Phillips, it's a high ankle sprain, and that's, I think, usually right about two, three, four weeks. So maybe that'll factor in. That's an interesting thought um, because you can you can bring the players off IR after three weeks now. So it'll be interesting to see what, what they do with that. Um, but, yeah, it – and maybe maybe they can just activate Will Holden off the practice squad every week, uh, but they've got some some roster maneuvering to do here over the next couple of days and and certainly the next couple of weeks. All right, well that does it for the mailbag, uh, Aaron. People can go on over to penlive.com and read your writings there on the Ravens. They can follow you on Twitter at Aaron Kaz Reports. 
what else can people do to support you and check you out? Yeah, so penlab.com slash Baltimore-Ravens. Uh, you mentioned the Twitter account. Uh, we have Facebook page, but uh, Ravens on PenLive, I believe, is the Facebook page. And uh, we're just churning out churning, churning out content every day. So um, feel free to give us a shout. Um, we're, we're always happy to uh, to chat and, and interact with, with readers as well. All right, awesome. And Ken, over on BaltimoreFilmStudy.com, the Situation Room came out this morning on Monday morning. Uh, tonight and Tuesday morning, this podcast will be out, and then we've got a full week of shows. Yep, full week of shows. So the the and, and articles as well. We've got uh, the the offensive review uh, tomorrow night. That'll be a lot of fun. And we got the uh, know your foe with Zach Hicks of the Colts uh, on Wednesday. We got by the numbers coming out with with Dan Reese on Thursday. And that should be the content for the week. There'll be offensive line scoring. They'll come out. Maureen and I just did it tonight. Uh, to get through all of it, it's all it's uh it's quite a lot to get through. I think it's great run blocking moments, but there's also some other uh, not so great stuff that we're going to have to talk about, and uh, uh, just an awful lot to go over with a rotating offensive line this last week. I want to make sure people understand that uh, Aaron is a great follow on Twitter. Highly recommend him. And you heard a little snippets of the insider kind of information he brings to the table. Please give him a follow over there. Very highly worthwhile. And I don't think you'll regret it. Aaron, you're pretty good about answering questions pretty quickly online. Yeah, yeah. uh, Give me a shout. Um, Certainly middle of press conferences, middle of games, it can be tough to to get to everybody. But uh, yeah, we love questions and, and, you know, love, love to give answers when we can. Yeah, so one of the one of the questions I always have, have for people is you always get to 100% of your questions at some point meaning you 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 look at it and you may only if it's not a question I don't feel the need to respond but I usually will like it anyway if they if they tag me but if they, if it is a question I always respond to it eventually I I also respond to any questions that come my way but the response once in a while might be just an eye roll. <laughs> And not actually typed into Twitter. That's fair. <laughs> so, um, all right, guys. Well, a full week. Keep on subscribing. Keep sharing the show. And use that code Ravens when you're checking out my bookie. And we will talk uh, tomorrow with the offense. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.